Hello and welcome to Issue Spot, the policy podcast of the Boston Bar Association. I'm Mike Abitzer, the BBA's Director of Government Relations. With the support of the BBA, a new law recently went into effect prohibiting discrimination on the basis of gender identity in places of public accommodations. On Wednesday, March 8th, the BBA welcomed Catherine Rubin of Hirsch Roberts Weinstein and Mason Dunn of the Massachusetts Transgender Political Coalition to offer insight into the issues addressed by this law, dispel common misinterpretations, and educate the community on what the term public accommodations does and does not include. True or false, all transgender persons are, by definition, also considered gay, which means if you discriminate on gender identity, you're also automatically discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation. How many say true? Ah, nobody, a well-informed group. Well, Mason, tell us why it's false and give us a little bit more about the terms we should know and then the underlying law. I will, I will start with an introduction. Um, so I'm the, the executive director of the Massachusetts Transgender Political Coalition, or MTPC. We are an organization dedicated to ending discrimination and oppression on the basis of gender identity and gender expression here in Massachusetts. But where sex is biological, gender is very different. Oftentimes we use these terms synonymously and they are in fact very, very different. Gender are the the cultural codes associated with uh, being a man or being a woman. Um, But it's also psychological of who you know yourself to be. Now, I actually separate gender, what what makes gender are two distinct elements. Um, The first is gender identity. Your gender identity is your internal sense, this introspective element of who I know myself to be as a man, as a woman, or neither, both, beyond. But gender identity is that internal sense. And gender expression is very different. Gender expression is how we communicate our gender identity. Uh, to the world around us. Our gender expression are the physical elements like hairstyle and clothing and mannerisms and all sorts of things that are the communication of one's gender identity. And oftentimes we assume that gender identity and gender expression are congruent when really that's not always the case. Uh, For some people it may be uh, unsafe to present their gender expression in a way that is consistent with their gender identity. Uh, or there could be other elements at play. I'm still figuring out my gender identity, so I don't know how to express it uh, through my gender expression, so give me time. So here in Massachusetts, back in 2011, uh, we passed an act relative to gender identity, which was uh, a huge victory in the trans community, uh, but not a completed victory. What happened in 2011 is we passed non-discrimination protections for gender identity and gender expression, in employment, housing, credit and lending, education, and also added gender identity to the statewide hate crimes law. And that was really important. All of those aspects are immensely important for trans people to be able to operate in society, to get jobs, to go to school, uh, and not have to worry about so many things that we used to worry about. Unfortunately, as that bill was moving towards passage, the state house, they said, we can pass this bill but not with public accommodations. So for many years, we had all of these non-discrimination protections except public accommodations. But last year, on July 8th, the governor signed into law the Public Accommodations Non-Discrimination Act to ensure that trans people can now access public accommodations. 
without fear of discrimination because that is prohibited under Massachusetts law. Now, I oftentimes get the question, so we're talking about like bathrooms, right? Public accommodations basically means public spaces. So what the window there allowed for is that trans people could go to work without fearing discrimination or go to school without fearing discrimination, but in the process of getting from your home to your school or to your workplace, either on a bus, walking through the common, um, whatever it may be, a gas station on the way there, those spaces, that discrimination was not prohibited. And so it really limited the protections that we had. Because public accommodations just mean any space open to the public. And so we were able to come back after a, a pretty long, drawn out fight, and we managed to pass it last year. Mason talked about places of public accommodation, and what's a place of public accommodation? Now, <laughs> is anybody aware of any case that suggests a college or university is not a place of public accommodation? I have not seen one. So those of you who are here on behalf of colleges and universities, you fall within this law. But just for those who are dealing with this issue generally, just again, have some fun. A golf course owned by a town, place of public accommodation? Yep, court agrees. What about a mosque that leased space in a city-owned theater to put on a men's meeting? Was the mosque, because it was holding this meeting in a city-owned space, a place of public accommodation? Actually, the court came down and said no, that they were like any other lessee, and when they were using the space, they were like a mosque. What about a fishing and hunting club that had only 300 members, but they weren't real selective about the 300? Yes, place of public accommodation. What about a lawyer who said, I only want to represent women in divorce cases? <coughs> yes, her office was deemed a place of public accommodation. She could not refuse a client simply because of that client's sex or gender. And what about uh, a nonprofit that provided free surgery to victims of domestic violence, but only did it for female victims of domestic violence? Place of a public accommodation? The court said, or actually the MCAD, said no. So we do have some of these nuanced decisions, but they tend, the trend is, when in doubt, chances are you are going to be a place of public accommodation. Question three, discrimination against transgender persons violates Title VII. So you might say, well, according to whom? Right. Okay? <laughs> according to the EEOC currently, yes. According to the federal courts, not the Supreme Court, but the lower federal courts. Yes, some. That would be the Schroer case. And then true or false, discrimination against transgender persons violates Title IX, according to the Department of Education. Yes. The answer is yes. And you may say, well, what about that whole pullabaloo with the Dear Colleague letter? That says, hey, Title IX protects against discrimination on the basis <laughs> of gender identity. And here is our interpretation of what that means you have to do. That letter was rescinded by the Trump administration on February 22. But the Trump administration did not say, we think that schools have to make people use the bathroom that is consistent with their birth certificate. They simply said, eh, we're rescinding that letter. But the case law, the state guidance, all of that still stands that Title IX does prohibit discrimination on the basis of gender identity. And I would submit, as lawyers like to say, that you follow this dear colleague letter in Massachusetts, you're gonna be doing just fine in terms of compliance with Massachusetts law. But what does adhering to the public accommodations law look like? Jill Zelmer, 
of the Equal Opportunity Office at Tufts University was there to offer practical guidance on what schools and other places of public accommodation can do to increase inclusion at their facilities. The bathroom conversation, when you relate it to um, structure, old buildings, and, and other um, financial realities and organizations, um, we like to use the, the example of a, a gender non-conforming bathroom that is a single stall, that is accessible, that is, I'm five foot, so I can just walk into a room and know that this is the radius, right? That's the turning radius requirement for a wheelchair. And so when we're talking to facilities folks about how to reorganize bathrooms to fit the public accommodations law, you know, I love to go in and say, we're going to make this a bathroom accessible to people in a wheelchair or with mobility impairments, and we're going to make it gender neutral or gender non-conforming. And so that is a, one of the practical pieces that I think as a 504 officer, as well as a Title IX officer, I kind of arm myself with both of those public accommodations laws, particularly when we're up against financial stuff. Because you think about public accommodations, for example, in um, you know, the ballparks or football fields or you know, large um, auditoriums where there is a required code for how many people can this facility occupy. You have to have the required bank of bathrooms for that number. And, and so if you're making gender neutral banks, bathroom banks, you have to also be considerate and conscientious of that, of that code as well. So just kind of thinking in a little bit of a different way and shifting your focus a little bit on uh, and thinking about family bathrooms. And so we talk about that in large public accommodation areas as well, thinking about you know families, dads going in um, to bathrooms with their daughters or sons going into bathrooms after or before a certain age with their moms or another female family member. And so what you know how how are we navigating all of those issues in a way that is inclusive of everyone? The interesting things that have come up in the last, I would say, 18 months are um, medical labs, where there is clearly a place where students, medical students, will go and change into their white coats, um, and the men go over there, and the women go over there, and where do the gender non-conforming students go? There isn't a place to do that. Uh, and that's come up in a couple of our campuses and a couple of our schools, and we've had to con consider and talk about what that looks like and what that means and how we can accommodate, um, if I can use that word. And then there, there are you know similar examples of um, athletics, you know, we just redid our athletic facility, but I know that not all universities are have that option right now, um, and financially it comes back to that often, where how can we make sure that there is a bathroom for a gender non-conforming student or a trans student to use in, if there is not, there's a female bank and there's a male bank of um, athletic rooms, and where do those gender non-conforming students go? Um, and so we typically will have a third, we built a third, um, we built a bathroom, as I said earlier, and a, a shower stall area that is single stall, single use, that is accessible, that is also has um, you know the, the all-inclusive symbol on it so that everybody knows that they can use that bathroom. And we have actually a map on our website that, that shows where the gender neutral or gender non-conforming bathrooms are, where the single stall bathrooms are, um, if they're not marked um, gender neutral or gender non-conforming. You know, there are, are maps in which that people can find the closest bathroom that they could use, whether they are a person with a wheelchair disability or whether they're trans and looking for a private bathroom, whether they're, um, they have a colostomy bag. You know, there's all kinds of things, right? That It's not just people who are trans who need like a private bathroom, potentially. And so the goal, as, the, as, as Lee said, in terms of that, um, you know, the design is, is how can we be mo more inclusive? And so we have maps like that so that, so that any visiting uh, person can can access it, so a visitor or grandma could access it. Um, 
you know, any grad, any student could access it, any parent could access it, any faculty could access it, any staff could access it. During the course of the discussion, the panelists took on an issue that was openly debated prior to the new law's passage. What happens when a facility doesn't have the capacity to create an entirely new set of gender-neutral accommodations? Would you agree with the statement that if there's a student at a school and there isn't, the school doesn't have the money to have a special gender non-conforming space, would you agree with the statement that the, the school's general rule should be the student should use the space that comports as best as possible with their gender identity that they ultimately choose. So the school should not worry too much about playing police on these Yes, situations. absolutely, I, I, absolutely. And I guess the other piece, though, is that there are some times when um, the student who's gender nonconforming isn't feeling comfortable and safe, which is also a priority. And so we want to make sure that they are heard and that they have a, way, a place where they can go, or at least a conversation about what may be the most useful for them. Yeah. And the, it's the conversation that's important, yeah. and not the policing. So kind of, that's kind of like in the Americans with Disabilities Act law. It's all about the interactive dialogue. And to remember that um, discrimination against transgender individuals can be also considered a form of disability discrimination against persons receiving medical treatment associated with a transition. Um, so the, the talk about interactive dialogue is a useful one. The law does build in the concept of a sincerely held gender identity, but then the question becomes, does an employer does a place of public accommodation, that's what we're focused on now, have a right to say, hey, I want to see proof of your sincerely. So if somebody goes into a bathroom and comes out all flustered and says, there's a guy in there, and there's someone in there who appears to be male, but we don't know what their sincerely held gender identity is. Should the place of public accommodation say, hey, what are you doing in this thing? The MCAD was trying to grapple with this issue. They say, we don't prohibit you from having restrooms designated by gender. Prohibiting someone from using a restroom consistent with their gender identity, that would be illegal to prohibit them. But then there's this last sentence, which I know was written and rewritten and rewritten, requiring an, an employee to provide identification or proof of a particular medical procedure in order to access gender-designated maybe to gender discriminatory bias. So where I come from is where you're dealing with employment and you can have a private conversation and say to somebody, you need to let us know what your sincerely held gender identity is so we can give you rights accordingly is one thing, but in a public space accosting someone and accusing them of using the wrong bathroom, you do so, MCAD says, at your peril. Is the, the law that we passed around public accommodation specifically mentions that you cannot use this law for any kind of criminal activity. Mm -hmm. So that if somebody says, well, you know, goes into a, a sex segregated space that may not be consistent with their gender identity, doing that for convenience is one thing. If it's done for criminal reasons, it is certainly not protected by the law and any uh, and all criminal activities are planned or occur are still an aspect and can be uh, held and used in court, um, regardless of the gender identity piece. Like So that was a big issue that came up when we were working on this legislation of like, oh, men will go into women's restrooms and commit nefarious acts. And the fact is, A, we, don't, we have not had any increase in criminal calls or, or complaints of criminal activity in restrooms since this passed. We have not seen an increase in criminal activity uh, or reported criminal activity in other states where this has passed and been in place for many, many years. Uh, that 
data just isn't there. Mm -hmm. um, and where it does come up, you can say the law specifically says you cannot use this to defend criminal activity, period, end of story. I hope you enjoyed this recap of the BBA's panel on gender identity and public accommodations. To find more programs exploring current events, visit our online calendar at bostonbar.org.